How many people have ever heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason? That sounds like a good phrase. It does. It sounds like a phrase we can get behind. It sounds like a phrase that will mean something at just the right time in our lives. And it's all fine and good until somebody tries to say it at a funeral. Let me tell you why. This is a true story. True story of a lady that was leaving the evening service at her church. And as she was leaving the evening service at her church, she went down a flight of stairs. And she fell down these flight of stairs and broke her hip. And she went and had hip surgery immediately following. But instead of getting better, she got progressively worse. And in just a few days, she died. And at the funeral home where they were having the the visitation, the pastor stood next to the husband who was grieving the loss of his wife. And as he did, people would walk up and they would say things that they thought would make him feel better. They would say things like, well, God must, must have a plan in this. Or it must have been God's will. Or things like, you know, somehow I think God maybe is just testing your faith in this. Or perhaps maybe, you know, there's a silver lining in every cloud. You'll find God's reason behind this eventually. Now, here's the thing. You know what those people are actually saying when they're saying that? They're saying this idea that everything happens for a reason. And that almost sounds right. It almost sounds good. Except for this. The flip side of everything has a reason is this. Is that God planned for your wife to die. Is what you hear. God planned for your wife to die. And so this preacher left the funeral home and as he was leaving, he was angry at these people and the things that they had said. He called it their babbling, you know, and he and he's walking into his home and he goes into his study and he rewrote the opening part of his funeral message for the next day. And the funeral message the next day, he stood up and he began with these words. God does not push old lady down the church stairs. Amen. Like, God doesn't do that. He just doesn't push people down the church steps. Today we are continuing in Romans chapter 8. Romans is one of the great books of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, Glenn said last week, is one of the the greatest chapters in the Bible. And in Romans 8, there is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And uh, when I rolled this out to check it out, Pastor Glenn came and looked at it and he said, Steve, really? You're going to hang that up and there's no flashing lights? And I said, oh, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. I got flashing lights for you, buddy. There we go. Huh? And the, the verse, this is in the NIV because I grew up in NIV. I preach out of the NLT, but NIV because I memorized it this way. Is, and we know that all things work together for good. And we know that in all, in all things, God works for the good. See, I got it messed up between translations. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So were those missing? Those is on the ground. I was going to say, thank you. I was wondering why there was a clip there and no word. There we go. How many people know this verse? Yeah, absolutely. Except for one thing. You know, it was about a year ago, just a little over a year ago, that I got a phone call in the middle of the day 
And my mother-in-law had, uh, had collapsed at her hair appointment. They rushed her to the hospital. And, and when I got to the hospital, I got there first. And when I got to the counter, they said, yeah, she's, uh, she's gone. She's already been life-flighted to UC Davis Med Center. And I knew that was trouble. And I didn't know that by that afternoon that the family would be sitting in a room trying to decide whether or not we should keep her alive as a vegetable or let her go. And you start to ask the question, really God? Does that happen with all things? Got some friends that I love very deeply, young couple, was in ministry with them along the way, went to seminary, came back. They've just, I've been able to walk through life with them, but they waited a long time to have kids and to get pregnant. And so they, they've waited this really long time. And when they finally got pregnant and they finally told everyone that they were pregnant at the next doctor's appointment, they found out that there was no heartbeat and that she was going to have a miscarriage. Is that really from God? Is that really good? Another lady from my church that we loved very deeply. She'd had a rough time, man. She'd had a broken marriage that had caused a really rough season for her where she was was single momming these three kids. And we loved this family and these kids. She battled bipolar disorder and we had walked alongside of her through that. And I remember on Christmas Eve, I got a phone call. Steve, we need you to come. It's time. And, and I came over to the house and in the living room where the hospital bed had been set up because she had stage four cancer. They were like, she doesn't have much time left. She's going to die. And we just want you to come and pray and, and sit with the family. And she died a few days later leaving three kids all the way down to age about 12. And you know what? She loved God. She was one of those who loved him. Another friend who worked with me, her son, was a campus ministry guy in in, uh, one of the college campuses around uh, the Sacramento region. And Great family, good guy. He'd been married for a little while. They, they hadn't been able to have kids, but they were looking into adoption and they'd completed this adoption process and had just gotten into this adoption process where they were taking this baby on board and about that time he got diagnosed with cancer. And, and we, you know, we had hoped he was so young. We thought maybe he would pull through and, and there was some up and there was some down and there was some hope. And then he died. Leave him behind his young wife and newly adopted child. Really, God? Is that according to your purpose? Here's the thing. If we're honest, if we're really honest, this verse can feel hollow. And frustrating, and especially it can feel that way to people who are suffering. Now, let's be clear. I am not saying that this verse isn't true, okay? You can stop hitting send on your email to Pastor Glenn right now, okay, about the heretic who's preaching up in front. If you want to have me fired, trust me, there's plenty of reasons to get me fired. Just hold on until we get to the end, okay? But what I'm telling you is that this verse, I don't want it ripped out of your Bible. I don't want it torn out. But before you quote this verse to someone, 
Don't say it to people who are currently suffering, that are in the pit of suffering. It's tough to swallow. You need to wait for them to have some perspective before you stencil this on a pallet and hang it in your kitchen because you bought it at a Hobby Lobby like that. Okay? It begs the question, though, does everything happen for a reason? I mean, if we give God credit for all the good things in our life, then can we blame God for all the brokenness in our world? Does God push old ladies down the stairs at church? Does everything happen for a reason? Well, let's look at it. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 8. If you've got your notes, follow along with me. If you've got a Bible, open to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at the context of this verse so that we can understand it, hopefully, in context. And here's the first thing I want you to see. Does everything happen for a reason is the question we're asking. Here's the first point. Are you ready? Tough times make for tough people. How many people have heard some version of that? That's a, there's some version of that phrase that goes around all the time. It goes a little bit like this. It says that tough times make tough people. And tough people create good times. And good times make for soft people. And soft people create tough times again. You understand what I'm talking about? Like here's the truth of it. We know that nobody likes tough times. Can I get an amen at anyone? Nobody likes tough times. It's okay that you don't like them. Nobody likes suffering. But we all suffer. Everybody suffers. Some definitely suffer more than others, but we all suffer. And the hard truth is we grow when we suffer. We grow when we suffer. But the question is, does God really use all things? Let's look at the passage. There's things. There's all. For we know that in all things... Let's look at the passage. Ready? Yet what we what? What's the word? Very good. You guys are keyed in with me. What we suffer when? What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us when? Later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will. Against its will. All what? All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, whoa, let's go back. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in what? Glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been, what's the word? Say it like you mean it. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also, what do we do? We groan even Even, we're clicking at the same time, even though we have who? The Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from what? Sin and suffering. Suffering is the number one reason why people stop believing. It's the number one reason why people walk away from their faith or lose their faith in God. But suffering is also the the most tangible place where we grow. I want to paint for you a few myths about suffering that kind of many of us buy into along the way. But they're not true, and I want you to see why they're not true. Here's the first myth about suffering. Are you ready? It goes like this. If we live right, we can avoid suffering. People believe, hey, if I just live right, then I can avoid or at least minimize my suffering in this world. But if you listen to this passage we just read in Romans 8, really suffering is a given, right? Right? 
It says we suffer now, not if we suffer now. All creation is subject to groaning, not part of creation. And it uses that great word groaning. I love that word because it's so vivid. We are all groaning under sin and suffering. But some people believe that it's all going to work out all right. It's all going to be all right. It'll all work out. It's all going to be okay. If I live right, it'll all be okay. It's what I call the Hakuna Matata theory. You know what I'm talking about? Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Sing along if you know. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It's our problem free. What? Philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hakuna Matata. That's our motto. What's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? <laughs> Listen, Pumbaa, Timon. Some people believe in Hakuna Matata. That's what they believe in. They think that's true. But guess what? Hakuna Matata won't solve all your problems. It won't. And Romans 8.28 says, All things work for the good. It says all things work for the good. You could misread that, that all things work for the good. When you read that phrase, you might think that it means everything's going to be all right. But in the Greek, it's clear that it is God. We know that in all things, God works for the good. Where's good? There we go. It's God that works for the good. It's God that has to make it good. Um, and many times it's literally a special act of God, an intervention of God to turn our bad circumstances into good. All right, here's a second myth that we believe about suffering. You ready? The second myth about suffering is that suffering always points to some sin in your life. This is the idea that God is trying to get your attention. Like he's given you suffering because he's got to get your attention. Now, let me be absolutely clear. Sometimes this is absolutely could be true. This is absolutely possibly, possibly true. God can use trouble, hard times, and even suffering to wake you up. I heard one pastor say it this way. Uh, he says, sometimes God has to put you flat on your back to get you looking in the right direction. Does that make sense? The only way you'll look up is if you're flat on your back. And that is possible. But here's the point. It's not always true. It's not always true. The suffering that Paul is talking about here in Romans 8, he doesn't seem to be in response to anything else. It's not like they did anything to bring on this suffering. Not all suffering is in response to some sin in your life. And if it is, if it is in response to some sin in your life, I would propose that God will let you know quickly. God is a good father. And a good father lets his kids know when they're being punished for something. Well, not punished, but when they're being corrected or disciplined for something, right? Um, It's a little bit like, If my kids were needed to get punished when they were younger, if I walked into their room and I say, and I just spanked them and then they looked up at me and they went, why Papa? And I looked at them and I said, you figure it out. Am I a good dad? No, kids don't say anything if that actually happened. Um, that's not how he works. God, if, if there is some suffering in your life that is a result of a sin or, or something in your life that you need to adjust with, God, God will make it clear. You'll know why. Here's a third myth about suffering. We will someday see the meaning of our suffering. We'll someday see the meaning of our suffering. 
This is a big one. For people who look at Romans 8.28 and they say, well, if, if all things work together for good, if all things work together for good, well then come on, God, what's the good in this? Like, show me the good. I want to understand why I'm going through this right now. Again, this can be true. You might see the good in hindsight. You might see the meaning of it on this side of eternity. You have a lost job. And you think, what is going on, God? And what you don't realize is he's setting you up for a job that's going to be way healthier for you and for your family. Or maybe you have a a, a health condition that flares up and you think, why is this happening to me? But maybe for the first time you decide to take care of your health and this body that God has given you. And you begin to take care of it. Maybe you go through a really painful breakup and you think to yourself, what is this all about? Until you realize that it was God leading you to the one he actually had for you rather than letting you languish away in a relationship that wasn't going to work. Maybe it's a car accident that that wakes you up to the power of your addiction to alcohol and, and you get some help and maybe it's that marriage that's that's just been constantly full of fighting and bickering and and. And you finally decide to get some marriage counseling. And you finally see some real healing in your marriage. Maybe you'll see all that. But maybe you won't. You might not. In verse 18 it says. The glory he will reveal to us later. Later. We don't know right now. But some of our suffering may only be understood in eternity. We may never know this side of heaven. Why our suffering took place. And I want you to remember who's writing this. The Apostle Paul is the one who is writing this. And Paul had his share of suffering. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians 11 tells Paul, he's talking about his own story. He says, I have worked harder. I but put in prison more often. I've been what? Whipped times without number. And faced death again and again. How many different times? Five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes. How many times? Three times I was beaten with rod. How many times? Once I was stoned. Once is enough for being stoned. Don't you think, people? Once was enough. Three times I was shipwrecked. And once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Paul knew suffering. Paul had experienced suffering. He had lived out suffering. So you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so everybody suffers. I get it, Steve. Suffering makes us stronger. Paul became a tough guy from suffering. But here's the thing. I don't want to just leave us with this unresolved suffering. So let's look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. And let's try to find some hope in suffering. We're going to find some hope in suffering. You ready? Here we go. It says, we too wait with what? Oh, you got to say it like you mean it, people. This is important. We too wait with? Eager hope. I know you're still filling in your blank. I got you. It's okay. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. For we were given what? This hope when we were what? Saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait how? Patiently and what else? Confidently. And the who? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with, what's that word? Groanings that cannot be expressed in word. And the Father, who knows all hearts, 
knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with what? God's own will. This passage starts with, we too wait with eager hope. Who is the we too? The we too is we believers. It's those Oh, I'm so close to making it in that tiny little clear. Those who love him. That's us. We believers. We too. And how do we wait? Patiently and confidently. We wait. Right? For these new bodies. These new bodies that won't be, that won't be uh, pervious to sickness and, and death and full of suffering. See, when we suffer with those deep groanings that nobody, that the kind where we don't even, how many people have ever been suffering so much you don't even have words anymore? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a few of you know. I don't even know what to say anymore, God. I don't even have words to express where I'm at. We have this Holy Spirit that lives within us. For those who love him, we have the Holy Spirit living within us and it is groaning for us and with us in this hope that, that somehow you're gonna overcome this suffering in us, God. And the Spirit of God lives within all of us and the Spirit will pray for you with those groanings and we find our hope in the Holy Spirit himself when we can't find our hope in our current circumstance. And then we get to the $64,000 verse. And it begs the question. Here's the question. Does suffering happen for a reason? Is there an according to purpose? Romans 8.28. Throw it up on the screen there for us. 828 says in the NLT, I've got it on the scripture up there. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I preached out the New Living Translation. This is in the NIV because I grew up in the NIV and I wanted to be able to remember the words in the order that they go in. Does that make sense? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to purpose. Do all things happen for a reason? Does this verse say that all things are good? No, doesn't say that. Does this verse say that God caused all things? No, it doesn't say that either. It's not what it says. But what it is saying, what this verse is saying is this. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if what has happened in your life was caused by God or not. It doesn't matter if if what happened in your life is a good thing or a bad thing. And by the way, can I get an amen on this? The definition of a good thing is really only your definition, isn't it? When you thank God for the good thing of that new job, are you feeling for the other five applicants that went home disappointed that day? No, It's, it's our good thing in that moment, right? It's your definition. But no matter what has happened in your life, this verse says this, if you love God, If you are one who loves him and you have been called according to his purpose, his purpose, he has plans for your life. No matter why something happened in your life, all things 
All things, whether they're good things or bad things by your definition. Things caused by God. Some things are caused by God, absolutely. Things not caused by God. All things work together for his good. Man, not everything that happens in this world happens for a reason. Unless, of course, that reason is is that sometimes people are sinful and make bad decisions. Can I get an amen out of anyone? People make bad decisions. Uh, J. Vernon McGee had a congregation member who came up to him and said this to him, and I love this. He said, listen, I have been studying the Bible, Dr. McGee, and I believe I am absolutely safe in God's hand. No matter what I do or how dangerous it may be, he is going to protect me. If I stepped out into a busy street against a red light, I would be perfectly safe if my time had not yet come. And Dr. McGee looked at him and he said to him, If you are foolish enough to step out into the street against a red light in rush hour, brother, your time has come. Like it's come. People do sinful stuff. People do stupid stuff. God doesn't cause everything to happen, but that's that's what happens. So if God doesn't cause everything to happen, then the question is, why does suffering happen? Why does suffering happen? And I'm going to give you a few illustrations here of why some suffering happens. The first one is this. Some suffering happens because we sin. Some suffering happens because we sin. I'm going to use some biblical examples here so that you can understand this. How many people remember Jonah? Remember Jonah? Jonah was a prophet of God and God said to go to Nineveh and, and, and Jonah said, no, thanks, no thanks. I'm not going. I won't go that way. He got on a boat, went the other direction. He directly disobeys God. And guess what? Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. A storm comes up and whose fault was the storm? God caused the storm, but whose fault was the storm? Jonah's. It was Jonah's. Jonah says in Jonah 1.12, listen to what he says. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is what? It's all my fault. It's all my fault. And not just Jonah was in the storm, right? There's a bunch of sailors, guys that just got up and went to work on that day. And they're like, what's going on here? Those guys are in a storm because of Jonah as well and Jonah's sin, right? Some of you today may be sitting here and you may be suffering right now. And it's because of you. And I know that's harsh. I know that's been true in my life where I look in the mirror and I go, you're, you're the problem here, fella. Like, like it's because of you. You disobeyed God. You sinned against someone else and you are feeling the suffering, but deep inside, you know, it's you. Proverbs twenty thirty says it this way. And I like this verse in the good news translation. Sometimes it takes a what? Painful experience to make us change our ways. It's true. Some suffering happens because we sin, but some suffering is because others sin. Can I get an amen out of anybody that's been sinned against? It happens because others sin. In the Old Testament, how many people remember the story of Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat? You remember that story? Joseph is this coat that his father made of many colors and he, he's having these wild dreams and he, he comes to the breakfast table and he tells his, all of his older brothers that he's got these wild dreams that they are going to bow down in front of him. By the way, note to self, if you've got a lot of older brothers, do not be careful how you share that story, okay? It did not go well for him at all. He's out with his brothers and his brothers decide, we're going to kill that guy. And so they drop him in a pit instead of killing him and they sell him into slavery, right? He really hadn't done anything wrong at this point. But he's sold into slavery and he's a slave in a foreign land. 
In this foreign land, he gets into this household of, of what I would call a chief diplomat. And this chief diplomat's house, he raises all the way to the top where he's managing the whole house. And then the diplomat's wife comes to him and says, man, you're kind of hot and I want to get together with you. And he says, I can't do that. I refuse to do that. She comes on to him and he, he says, I won't do that. It would dishonor my master. It would dishonor my God. And so I won't do that. She lies about it and he's thrown into prison again. And he's stuck in prison thinking, what happened here, God? Right? He did the right thing. And he's in prison. Through God's intervention, he gets out of jail. If you know the story, he becomes the second in command to only Pharaoh in the entire country of Egypt. And when famine hits, Joe's bros come looking for him. They come looking for help. And they come into Egypt not knowing it's him. And guess who's in charge is little old Joe. And they look at Joe and they are terrified of what Joe's going to do. But listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, you intended to what? Harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of who? Many people. Joe's suffering was not because of his own. It was because of his brothers. It was because of the sin of the, of the diplomat's wife. It was, but God redeemed his suffering. And turned it into something good. Listen, some suffering is because we live in a broken, fallen world. Some suffering started at the fall of creation. This passage talked about all of creation groans, right? Creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Speaking of childbirth, childbirth comes with some suffering. Can I get an amen out of the ladies in the room? Amen, right? And because of the fall, women had to suffer in childbirth. It also says because of the fall, men had to work the soil by the toil of their back and and all the hard work. And you want to know what my wife says to me a lot about that? Hey, uh, Steve, when was the last time you worked the soil, fella? And my response was, I work. I work hard. Just this week, while I was typing the sermon, I hyperextended my pinky, reaching for a, a key over there. So it's, it's, it's not the same, right? But we suffer because creation has suffered. That's, that's how it works. Instead of this perfect garden place where everything is there for us, for the picking, we have illness and pain and death and toil and suffering. And Jesus acknowledged that. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Where? Here on earth, you will have what? Many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Some suffering is just because we live in a fallen, broken world. Then there is some suffering is because of doing what is right. 1 Peter 3, 14 says this. But even if you suffer for what? Doing what is right. God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. There will be times when you do the right thing and you will suffer for it. I love baptisms. I love watching people get baptized. If you just got baptized today, though, let me tell you a very true truth. The moment you did that, you had a target painted on your back. There's an evil one out there that wants to attack and persecute and make you suffer and struggle for your faith. And you will suffer and struggle for your faith if you live it outright. You have a target on your back and that's for doing the right thing. Joseph did the right thing and suffered, right? Paul 
did a lot of the right things. And every time you turn around, Paul's getting beaten or stoned or, or whipped or, or thrown into jail again and again and again. But the greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus did what was right, what was needed. And he sacrificed for you and I and he would suffer for it, for you and I. It says, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this what? This cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want what? Your will to be done and not mine. Jesus' suffering, his death and crucifixion on the cross was, his plan for, was God's plan for salvation for you and I. But not everything happens because it's God's plan. God doesn't plan sinful behavior. He deals with it. He redeems it, but he doesn't plan it. And the everything that happens, happens for a reason mentality can end up blaming God for stuff he's not responsible for. God doesn't push little old ladies down the church stairs. He doesn't. I'll sum it up this way. God doesn't make everything happen. But what God does do, what he does do for his people is he makes everything that does happen have a reason. God for his people makes everything that does happen, whether he caused it or or some sinful action caused it or a broken world caused it, it has a reason when you belong to him. So the point of all of this is trying to find some purpose in our suffering, finding purpose in our suffering. And we see it in those last two verses, Romans 8, 29 through 30. It says it this way. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become what? Like his son, like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn, the the preeminent among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them what? His glory, his glory. Here's the thing. Instead of just asking God, instead of just asking God to get you out of trouble, it's okay to pray that prayer. God, get me out of trouble. God, I can't take this much longer. God, I need you. I need your strength. Get me out of trouble. But you should also ask this question. What should you get out of the trouble? We see in that verse, what we're supposed to get out of the trouble is that we become more like his son. We become more and more like Jesus. We, we reflect his glory, it says in, in verse 29 and 30, right? We, we highlight Jesus' preeminence among all the brothers and sisters. That's what we're supposed to get out of the trouble. That's the purpose in suffering. And that leads me to... So what, Steve? What do I do with this? How do I make sense of this? Well, I want to give you something to walk out of here with today, I hope. Um, you are probably one of three people as you walked in here today. Ready? Either you are currently suffering. You're in the middle of your own suffering right now. You know what I'm talking about. Number two, you may love someone who is suffering. You may absolutely love someone who's suffering. And number three, you might live alone in a cave. I got nothing for you if you're number three, okay? But you probably are either suffering or know someone who's suffering. And I want to give you a little something. Let me help you today. First of all, If you are suffering, if you walked in here today with a heavy burden and you are suffering, can I just tell you something? You are not alone. 
You're not alone. And before you pass judgment on your current suffering, before you decide you know what it all means, before you decide that you understand it all, would you please wait and get some perspective? I promise you, if you're in the middle of your suffering, I will not quote this verse to you. I won't quote it to you today. But can I tell you something that may be true? A month from now, a year from now, or maybe even a decade from now, you may look back on this verse and understand your suffering then. Don't give up right now because you're suffering. Let some people walk alongside you with it. Let the Holy Spirit groan inside of you and pray for you in the middle of your suffering. But for what I really want to share with you today is for those of you who know someone that you love is suffering, just not if you know what I'm talking about. Can I just tell you, I was having this conversation with Stephen Rossi, our high school pastor. There is a sentiment within inside of me, which is, God, if you want me to suffer, bring it on. I'll take it. But God, please don't make my wife suffer. Please don't let my kids suffer. God, I can't watch this person I love suffer. I think the greatest opportunity we have to, to, to show Jesus' love is with people that are suffering. The greatest suffering in the Bible is by a guy by the name of Job. If you don't know the story, Job is struck with all kinds of calamity. He loses everything, his family, every bit of his family, his extended family. The destruction of his property, he loses all of his wealth, and he's even covered in boils. And I want to show you how Job's friends responded to his suffering. Job's friends, by the way, are idiots in the rest of the Bible, Okay, in the rest of the book, right? They are just absolute idiots. You only go to about this far. But in the beginning, they handle this beautifully with Job and I want to show you what it says in Job chapter 2. When they saw Job from a distance they scarcely recognized him. What did they do? Wailing loudly. They tore their robes and they threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights and no one said what? No one said a word to Job for he for, for words, for they saw that his suffering was what? Too great for words. Here's my so what. Are you ready? Show up and shut up. Sorry if shut up is a bad word in your house. I apologize. Send your emails to glenn at fbclodi.org. Here's the thing. If you don't know what to say when somebody's suffering, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just show up and be present. Let me give you some what nots to say. Don't say this. Hey, let go and let God. I know how you feel. You don't know how they feel. God is testing you right now. I've been testing enough. He wasn't good enough for you anyways. He's in a better place now. This is all part of God's plan. I don't like God's plan. I had a friend who went through this. Let me tell you what the miracle was. They don't want to hear that. You think that's bad? Listen to what happened to me. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Hey, this should make us really thankful for what we have. Don't say those things. You want to know what people don't need when they're suffering? They do not need advice. They do not need simple solutions. And really, they genuinely don't need trite spiritual sayings. 
or even verses in that moment. They don't need over-identification. Oh, I can tell you, I know exactly what you're going. They don't need that. And they don't need your miracle stories. They don't, not in the middle of their suffering. Let me tell you what you should say to people who are suffering. I am so sorry this is happening to you. Or like I started with, don't say anything. Start with listening. Listen to them. I'll be praying for you. Can I come over? Do you want to talk? Listen, I'm only a phone call away. Can I help with anything? I mean anything at all. Listen, I don't know what this feels like, but I want to be available to you. I wish I had the words to comfort you, but I don't. And I love you. And sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just to show up. What people do need in the middle of suffering is they need listening. They need empathy. They need encouragement. They need your presence that you would just show up. They need silence and they need prayer. And the most powerful example that we have of this, in my opinion, is Jesus. Jesus in the, in the shortest verse in the Bible, many of you know this. In John 11, it says, then Jesus wept. And if you don't know the story, Jesus is showing up at Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been dead for a few days. In fact, it says that he'd been dead so long, the body was beginning to stink. He stinketh in the, in the tomb. And Jesus shows up in this moment, and he, he knows what's happened. And, and Jesus is literally... I mean, minutes away from raising Lazarus from the death, he's going to call him out of the tomb. He's, Lazarus, come on out. And, he, and he's going to call him out of the tomb. But in that moment, when he walks in and he sees his people, the people that he cares for and his followers, and they're suffering and they're weeping and they're wailing, you want to know what he did? It's almost like he tore his robe, sat in the dust, and he just wept with them. He willingly entered their suffering. Will we, as Jesus's followers, willingly enter into people's suffering that we might shine a light of hope, that we might shine a light of hope for the future, that they might see Jesus in us? Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would use us in these moments of suffering, God, for my friends that are here that are suffering today, God, that they, they know they're in the middle of it, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would intervene, that you would speak to them, that you would groan within them with all the groanings that only you can understand and your spirit can do. Father God, but for the rest of us who, who know and love someone who's suffering, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom as to how to use what we know to be true up here, God. That if those people who love him and are called according to his purpose, God. That when we surrender it to you, you will work for the good and that you can take all things and give them a purpose. God, I pray that you would use us in the lives of those who are suffering so deeply in our world. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.